Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone, welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. We kick the PM off as usual with the call live from our Barangaroo studios. 10 stocks picked by you. Well, I put them to two experts. Uh, we throw in a stock of the day and it's all done in one hour. And uh, terrific to have on board today Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Uh, afternoon, gents. How are you all doing? Head of the Easter long weekend. I'm great, yeah, thanks, Koshi. It's been nice weather here the last few days, so actually got some sunshine, which is really treasured in this year. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully it lasts all the way through to uh, through Easter as well. Hey, uh, let's get straight into it because uh, a lot of stocks to get through, uh, very different ones, and I love the way that you ask specifically uh, for answers from both Claude and Luke uh, on many of the stocks today, which is fabulous. So this half hour, we're going to talk about Carbon Revol- uh, Revolution. Uh, Edisil Technologies, Best and Less, Cardno and Genetic Signatures. Uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take, this is uh, a suggestion from Claude, um, take a look at EML Payments. Uh, can't seem, seem to stay out of the news uh, for very long at the moment. EML confirming there were takeover interest earlier in the year from Bain Capital. However, uh, these discussions have now ceased. Uh, shares shooting into the green um, up over 13%. It's proving to be a bit of a battleground stock. So what do our experts actually think of it? And uh, uh, has had uh, a real pop. Claude, uh, you follow EML payments pretty closely. What do you, what do you think of um, the stock at the moment? Well, I think it's definitely one of the most interesting stories on the ASX at the moment because on the one hand, you have this sort of spike in short interest and you also have with uh, EML a history of falling afoul of the regulators with um, over in Ireland. I think, yep. you know, probably in the past we've had on in the show plenty of discussion about that, so I won't rehash it all. But um, when you see on the one hand high short interest plus, you know, you could make a guess that, then people might be worried about regulatory risks. I mean, they, certainly that's the, the biggest risk in my view. Um, and then on the other hand, you actually have arguably some good setups, at least in the short term. Um, obviously, these guys have a longer term tailwind of digital payments generally and you know less use of cash. But on top of that, they have $2 billion of, of float, which is sort of customer money that they hold on behalf of other people. Now, in a low interest rate environment, that float's not worth very much to them because they don't get to um, harvest much interest out of holding it. But in a higher interest rate environment, they start getting more, uh, they start getting just like almost pure profit from interest rates going up on that float. And on top of that, they've got another 700 million um, that doesn't earn anything until US rates uh, hit, uh, I think it's 2%. So that 
doubt that's probably a little while down the track, but that might also start earning the money as well one day. So I like EML for the fact that I think that it is a business model. It is um, really well suited to an inflationary environment. To me, it's yeah. an unloved company that has been sold down a bit that actually might have better better days ahead in the short term. Mm. Um, but then on the other hand, you've just got this skeleton in the closet of regulatory risk that is what makes me think that the current price is probably a little bit high and I'd, I'd be really looking to buy it at, at a price that had a good margin of safety there. Okay. So, um, Luke, just a snapshot of EMP, uh, EML. It's in uh, basically store cards, isn't it, and gift cards. And like if, if you receive a $50 gift card from somebody, um, they've already paid for it. That money sits with EML, if you like, which is what Claude's take, talking about with higher interest rates. They, they have sort of a float there of free money while we get our act together as a recipient of it to go and spend it. Yes, I've, I've got a JB Hi-Fi gift card I got for my birthday that's probably sitting in email's uh, float right now. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the that's the core business, Koshi, and that was email when it first listed uh, back in like 2011, 2012. Um, management's done a very good job, mostly through acquisition, of pivoting to some um, reloadable sort of cards. And uh, the, the main one that people may have seen is if, if you see advertisements by some of the major bookmakers like Ladbrokes or Sportsbet, um, email powers their cards and allow people mm. to, to you know deposit money or withdraw money directly from their betting accounts. Um, so Claude did a great job, I think, outlining. I, I love that term battleground stock, and generally I stay away from them. But Claude did a good job outlining, you know, the tailwinds that EML could have, particularly over the next few years. Not just on the interest rate on the floats, but they're a beneficiary of inflation because they clip the ticket on transactions as those yep. transaction values increase because of inflation. It naturally flows through to EML. Um, the difficulty I've, I've got with EML, you, that, that move today on you know, the AFR reporting, Bain looked at the business a few months ago and admittedly have walked away, but um, the language in the article seemed to suggest it was more on valuation grounds than, than you know, anything nefarious they saw in the business. Um, it feels a lot like short covering, which, of course, if you've been short this mm. business, and I think it crept up to about a 10% short interest, which is quite large, um, you know, you probably take some off the table given that, that you know, risk of a takeover and a, and a, and a you know, a big pop on a day and, and you've suddenly probably seen all your short profits wiped out in, in one day. So it feels a little bit like that, that to me today. Conversely, if you're someone Look, you, who, would, uh, you wouldn't You wouldn't be saying, would you, that people have shorted the stocks, have sort of come up with some story that maybe gets in the media and pops a price and then they they settle out of the position. You You wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't be suggesting that, would you? I, I wouldn't suggest that. And I also wouldn't suggest, you know, whether EML's management themselves may have, you know, okay. uh, made sure that some things were leaked to the AFR. So it's always okay. worth considering that, Koshi. I mean, right. when news makes it out, who benefits from it? Yep. Um, but but very, very fair point on the shorts. Um, and... Look, I think the difficulty you've got with this business, as Claude alluded to, with that regulatory risk, is if, be it Bain Capital or someone else, you know, does initiate on a, on a non-binding bid, and when they dive deep into those books, decide to back away. You know, we've seen it with Link, and we've seen it with a few other businesses. It usually means there's probably something going on under the hood that you can't see until you get into that data room and really dig into the books and, yeah. and see either what they've acquired or what's going on. So that's a risk for EML holders or people looking at it today is if, if these, this M&A interest does back away. 
Um, for me, th these battleground stocks, I generally just stay away. They're so volatile. You see that in the move today. You could be right or wrong and still lose money on, you know, be it long or short on a stock like this because it's so difficult with all those moving parts. Okay. All right, let's get into our first stock. Alexander wants a view, uh, Luke, on Carbon Revolution. This is the manufacturer of carbon fiber wheels and research into carbon fiber wheel uh, technology. Um, Alex, I want you two to comment saying, last time I was on the call in October last year, I have, have held a small parcel of the stock for some time now. Sadly, the share price has deteriorated full and below its March 2020 lows. Company has plans to ramp up its mega line production in the second half of this year, hoping this will drive sales. Do the experts think this stock can break the downgrade cycle? Good question, Alexander. Luke? Um, this is a business I, I really want to like, Koshi, because you take one look at their customer base and you can see there's a genuine product here. I mean, customers are like Ferrari, GM, Porsche, um, and, and top of the line, you know, their, their, their supercars and things like that. And the reason why is this is, you know, a carbon fiber composite, which goes onto the, the, the rims of, the, of these tires. Um, the, the, the benefits, uh, I think, are, are undeniable. It's about 40 to 50% lighter, which is obviously more fuel efficient or for electric vehicles, which they're targeting allows for a, a longer, um, you know, kilometers per charge. The, the problem I've got with the business is I think they've mispriced themselves. And I'll sort of explain what I mean by that, Alex, is um, this business runs on negative gross margins. And that's a, it's a very difficult investment case to make for a manufacturer that has negative gross margins. Essentially, for a business to start off like this as a manufacturer with negative gross margins, you need to put a lot of volume through that business to, to make up for the, you know, the, effectively the fixed overheads of your manufacturing. And I'm not quite sure that this product is a volume game. Um, for me, it feels like the, the, the cars that they've won and, and, and the customers they've won this is a, a a niche product for certain types of vehicles because they charge twenty eight thousand uh, sorry twenty eight hundred dollars per wheel. That's that's a, a fair cost for just mm. the rim of, of a car. You times that obviously by four. Um, so the issue I've got is I, I actually think management probably need a rethink, and it may be difficult to do now because you're so far down the path with a bunch of these customers. I actually suggest they've got the pricing wrong on this. I think that needs to be substantially higher and they should be making some pretty big fat gross margins on a product like this where it is a niche product. You know, it's, it's highly technical. It's, it's very advanced manufacturing for very specific high-end luxury vehicles. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's hard for me to see where this business pivots into profitability given those negative gross margins and the volume they would have to put in. I'm just not sure it's there for the, for the vehicles they want to target. So. Leave it on. Uh, Alex owns it. I would actually sell it if I hold it, Koshi. I would okay. keep it on your watch list because whenever you have a business that that has a, a you know a, a clearly um, innovative product or or a, or a market leading product, which I think these guys have, given by the customer base they do, you watch them. But they've got to answer a lot of questions for me just to just to confirm they actually have a viable business into the future. Okay, uh, Claude. Yeah, so a similar point of view, I, I'll take, I'll share some slightly different information. Like, first of all, on the positive side, I like uh, the idea that um, EV manufacturers want to have these uh, wheels that are, among other things, lighter and thus oh. uh, allow further range for the EVs. So I think that was like a bull point that the company has not been um, afraid to make, but I agree with it. And, and it is interesting, which means for me, this is definitely one for the long term watch list. However, um, there's many ways to attack it as as a sell 
Um, one way would just be to simply say, look, this company is like massively loss making it. Um, I think it was 20 something million in the last half it lost and it already had debt. Now it does have, it just did, like it's got a raising. It's got 40 something million in the cat in the bank, but that's not a whole lot of um, cash. And, their willingness to take on debt can be very risky because if you're a loss-making company that then takes on debt, then you can really get into distress at some point. Um, on top of that, I did check out the Glassdoor reviews just to try and, because I guess there were some signs um, with the most recent results. They said due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the company experienced elevated manufacturing costs relating to raw material shortages, additional air freight costs, increasing COVID-related sick leave and isolation leave. So, there's a, a few red flags that come out of this. The first of all is I myself have a personal policy of um, basically no longer being too positive on companies that blame COVID for bad results um, yep. because even the comparable period had COVID now. So we've had lots of time to adapt. So I don't really accept that as excuse anymore. And then secondly from that, that prompted me to go and check out Glassdoor reviews to see what the um, employees were saying. And, you know, one of them sort of said, you need to support your engineers more um, without exception. They're on edge, changing of direction in the short timelines and budget constraints make it hard to deliver good results. Now that actually suggests that what Luke says uh, may actually be true. You know, if they're, if the employees are just kind of trying it almost impossible to, you know, reach the, the goals that management want. To me, that says, yeah, actually that probably supports what Luke says, which they have underpriced their product which puts them in a real pickle, I would definitely sell, put it on the watch list. And yep. then sometime in the future, once they get closer to profitability, probably so many people will have had a bad experience as shareholders by then, the actual share price might have a delayed re reaction to good news. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Carbon Revolution, a really good uh, analysis from both Luke and Claude there. Claude, uh, Matt from New Zealand wants uh, a view on Adacel Technologies. This is the... Uh, um, air traffic management system, air traffic controller and airport driver simulation training tools as well. Um, they have various airports as clients, NASA, US Defense Department and Air Force. Uh, Matt says uh, this company ran up with good results last year uh, following the turnaround and new management. Uh, forecasts since are basically flat, share prices come back. Uh, could this be a growth story in the next several years as travel resumes uh, and they get more customers and contracts? It is fairly illiquid though, but has undemanding PE, good yield of 5% plus and good cash generation and profitability and return on equity. So uh, Matt's done his homework on it, Claude. Um, what do you think of uh, Adacel? Yeah, great. Well, um, actually, I'm glad we got this question because this is an interesting little company. It's like soft, partly a software company, a small cap. So I've followed it for many years. Um, I guess the point that I want to make here is that um, I don't. I think it's too early to call any kind of turnaround on Adacel. Um, and secondly, I would say like long term, um, I, I think we actually have a graph um, of the services and system revenue up there. So that's the two segments, the systems revenue um, which is the green, I think. Uh, sorry, the, the purple there. Purple, that, yep. Yeah, sorry, beg your pardon. Includes all the sales of complex systems and products covering operational control as well as simulation and tra training. So that's hardware and software upgrade sales. The services is the recurring revenue, um, including all aspects of support, field services, and, and on-site technical services. So 
Um, the green is supposed to be more um, recurring in nature, although you, you can see what happened in um, the last, the second half last year is that we had a big lump, big, great half of the green services revenue. And that's why the share price pops because people are excited to see that increase. Well, you can see that's come down in the next half. Now, what the situation is, it does have a good dividend yield, which is a, which is a good point by the questioner. And on top of that, um, they've given guidance, which they've also just reconfirmed, um, which that guidance means puts, if they achieve that, which they probably will, it puts it on around 12 and a half times profit as the actual, um, you know, as a multiple. Now, obviously, 12 and a half times actual profit is, is too low for a growing business. Um, absolutely. Uh, and I think there could be a short-term trade here in, in the sense that um, you could buy and then just hope that after the next results, uh, you get a boost. Now, they're buying back shares. You're getting a good dividend yield. This is probably a, a reasonable pr price to buy the shares. However, what you've got to remember is when you look at that long-term, we saw that chart before of the two revenues, you can see that the purple's gone up and down, up and down. And the green, if anything, excepting last half, if anything, seems to be going a little bit down. So that's why it's priced at 12 and a half times profit, um, because the longer term history of this company is not one of growth, really. And if anything, if you look at the amount they've been investing in R&D, etc., over the last decade, I think it's too low to even expect growth. So I wouldn't be expecting any growth. I definitely am not expecting a turnaround. What I would be expecting is that a new management team can get a bit of a get a bit of a bump you know like make it have a good dividend and do buyback shares that'll get eps growth like there's definitely ways they can make the share price go up but i think at that point you've got to be ready to take your profits exactly. and especially if you see um the insiders the directors selling shares a few years ago you know they timed it pretty well i, I wouldn't hold this for the long term so for that reason like I guess I'd put it more as a hold. There's a short-term thesis you could make, but it's not the kind of long-term investment that I look for. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, Luke? Well, that was really good analysis from Claude. Um, and, and my takeaway is almost exactly the same. I think it's a bit early to call this a, a turnaround in the sense of this is now you know, coming back to being a growing business. I think at best management have sort of um, taken some, some excess costs out of the business and, and returned the business to some decent profitability. Um, I, I noticed, Claude obviously graphed it there, but I noticed the same thing, that the lumpiness that has now come into that services business, which shouldn't be lumpy because it is maintenance and, and um, uh, ongoing uh, license sort of revenue. So the guidance that management have given for the full year suggests that it will again be another you know, large second half. So I haven't reached out to management. This is one I actually owned years ago, but I haven't, I haven't reached out to management in, in the you know, recent past, just to see like, why has that seasonality come into the business? Why is the first half now weak and the second half much stronger? And there could be a very valid reason for that, just simple around seasonal timing or something like that, or large customers shifting to the second half. Um, okay. But it's worth asking that question. Um, I agree with Claude's takeaway though. I think this business, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to grow. So for me, 12 to 13 times earnings seems pretty fair for a more liquid micro cap. But that said, you can still earn a decent return on you know, a business that allocates its capital well, which management seem to be doing. You're getting a, a decent dividend yield um, and they're buying back you know, a, a not insignificant amount of shares at the same time. So I think it's one you can hold if you're there. But uh, Matt, who wrote it in, 
I think don't don't buy this business expecting a you know 12 times PE multiple goes to 20 as part of your investment thesis. I, I think definitely be conservative and expect to get most of your returns from from capital allocation rather than um, you know the growth of the business. Okay, and we'll get the new management uh, here on Ausbiz to uh, run them through it. Uh, I'm interested because a mate of mine's um, American based mate of mine has uh, just been appointed to the board. So I was quizzing him <laughs> about, about it the other day. So uh, we'll get to the bottom of it. All right, uh, next stock, uh, Jason wants a view. Uh, Luke on best and less. Uh, looks massively undervalued, according to Jason, on a PE of 4.6, the uh, discount retailer. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't actually looked closely at this. A recent IPO sort of last year. Um, we've got a couple of questions today from, from people who have clearly run a, a screen of some sort to come up with a number. And, and this is an example of the dangers of, of doing something like that. So if you run you know, a PE screen on best and less, it, it does come up at that 4.6 level. But when you dig into the results, there were some one-off accounting rules around their IPO, which led to um, you know accounting profit being recognised, but not part of their operational profit moving right. forward. Now, credit to Best and Less, they obviously stripped all that out and provided a, a pro forma operating result. But if you run a screen, you know, for cheaper stocks on the ASX, Best and Less probably shows up. So just be just be aware of that one, Jason. But all that to the side, I actually think your main point of this being a cheap business probably still stands. I, on, on their calendar year 21, um, you know, it trades on about nine times earnings. And that was pretty heavily impacted by COVID, particularly in the back half of last year, where Christmas is obviously the major um, selling time for, for retailers like Best and Less. Um, and, and they were forced to, to close their stores for, I think, 23 or 24% of the, of the trading days in that second half. So... Um, there's a there's a lot of moving parts to retailers, and they come up a lot on the call. Not not just best and less, but yep. um, JB, Adairs, Baby Bunting. We, we get them a lot, and and I think the reason why is because they do screen really cheap. And, and I know Mark Mall, I think was on yesterday, Koshy yep. talking about Team Investor heavily focused on retailers. They could be a very lucrative fishing ground at the minute because I I, I agree with all that. There's a lot of moving parts to them though. Like we're talking. Mm you've had cashed up consumers for the last two years. So how much demand was brought forward, supply chain issues, COVID issues, um, cost input issues with, you know, we know wages are increasing, particularly for those sorts of um, lower paid employees. A lot of things to throw in. Um, Best and Less's trading update wasn't fantastic. Their like for like sales were down about 8% for the first couple of months of, of the second half. But all that said, I actually think for most of these retailers and they're all decent quality on the ASX. I know we talk about that a lot. Um, you're not paying an excessive amount. So I think a lot of those moving parts and issues are potentially in the price when you're paying sub 10 times earnings. Um, So so best and less, look, on a a quick look for me, I probably can't say buy, but definitely if you're there, I would hold it because there's nothing to me that screams you should be selling this business. Um, and, And my other point I had was, I think you've got a very competent management team. So they actually increased their gross margin um, in the second half, despite revenue falling about 15, 16%. That's very difficult for a retailer to do. Um, Normally the leverage you have as a retailer, you need increasing sales to increase your gross margin. So to do that on decreasing sales indicates they were very careful around their pricing and having to discount their, their, um, their inventory. So I think there's a lot here to say, hold it. And and to be honest, if you know, six, 12 months time when some of these things start to abate, um, and we have more of a track record of being listed. I, I, I think this is a business you could okay. you could look to buy. Yeah, Claude, um, a lot of these retailers, I suppose it's being priced into the low PE. You've got interest rates about to go up 
and say the Westpac forecast of interest rates over the next two or three years comes off, that's a 22 to 25% increase in repayments for uh, people with a home loan. And as SQM's research came out yesterday, rents are shooting through the roof. So anyone in bricks and mortar who's got a mortgage or is paying rent, that disposable income's got to come under pressure, is it, over the next year or two? Yes, absolutely, Koshi. You kind of made my point partly for me there. I mean, I will, I will come back and say uh, to Jason, the questioner, just FYI. So Bill Potter have these guys doing about 31 um, cents in earnings in FY22. This is normalized earnings going on, like just creeping up to 33 and 35 cents over the next two years. So that puts it on a PE of around nine, right? So it is cheap, even though the PE you had mm. was wrong. Um, but then my concern, especially short term, is exactly what you said, David, because, uh, look, I think Best and Less will probably do better than some retailers. It's definitely going to do better than um, retailers that are on like, you know, 50 times earnings or 30 times earnings. Um, having said that, I just think that we had a big session of two years of like buying things and spending money and having a lot of money for retail. And now fuel is going up as well. Yeah. Mortgage yeah. repayments is going yeah. up. Rent's going up. And yeah, sure, I would expect and hope that we do, we do get pay rises down the track to compensate for that. But in the meantime, I think there's going, to be a de there's going to be a degree of just overall belt tightening. And look, that probably doesn't hit best and less too badly, but it's still not a great environment for retailers. And they do have operating leverage, as you say. You, know, you, you put less um, volume across their assets and suddenly you, know, you have operating leverage can go the other way. Profits can go down too. And then this thing gets whacked really hard yeah. if suddenly it's on a PE of 15. It'll go back down to nine. That means the share price is down. I don't think it's time to buy retailers yet. So even though I do think amongst retailers, this is probably a re reasonable one. I personally, I've just made the decision like a while back now. Retail is one thing that I just avoided because yeah. I feel like we're in an inflationary environment. That's possibly going to be followed by a recession. I think it's going to be a bumpy ride for retail. Yeah. Uh, interesting, Bank of America last night uh, released a, uh, a report, uh, research report on fund managers' view of the US economy going forward. Massive increase in the number of fund managers battening down for an economic recession in the US after the, that 8.5% March inflation figure. So uh, a lot of uncertainty, not only in Australia, but around the world at the moment. Um, Claude, Brett, wants to be on card no uh to luke's point brett's a guy who's looked at the screen and said i want a high dividend payer uh card no's come up but there's not much of a business you're investing in yeah no so um card no i, w I wouldn't rely on that dividend screen going forward they've sold their international development business yeah. and so um you know these guys i think it's just like I, don't, I wouldn't buy it. It's not an operating business there anymore. It's, I think we've got to wait and see what's happening um, with that. Uh, so, yeah, like for yeah. me, it's probably just a quick, easy one. Avoid it. There's no thesis there for me to, to really yeah. judge that I can tell. Luke, agree? Yeah, yeah. So that was my comment to, to Brett, was just be careful running these scans. There were some special dividends after they sold down some segments. Um, but I, I think the business is now effectively just an operating shell. Um, I think they'll, yeah. they'll have... Once they return the capital from their latest sale, there'll be about $8 million cash in the bank. I think that'll just be the wind-up costs. Um, so I'd leave it. Maybe The only thing I thought of is, is, is 
and this takes more than the research I put in, but maybe there's benefits there for people who are, you know, around franking credits or something like that. But again, there's no advice with that. I, I didn't okay. dig deep into it. All right. Look, Sammy wants a view on genetic signatures. Sammy says share price seems to be making a bit of a comeback. Will it continue? If so, is it a buy? It's a molecular diagnostics company uh, focused on uh, a platform that's uh, built called 3Base. It's all about identifying genetic uh, signatures, a biotech company. Mm. Yeah, look, it's not one I know well. And so I think I'll be quick. And I know Claude knows a bit better than me, so I might let him do, do most of the, the background to it. Um, when I look today, it looks it looks interesting. Uh, my, my main note was very rarely do I see these businesses actually make it. I mean, this has come from effectively a concept to you know, not just an operating mm-hmm. business, but, but a profitable one. Um, I did come up with two questions and, and I'll you know maybe throw them to Claude and I'm sure he, he would have probably answered them anyway. But there's obviously some COVID beneficiaries there. And so trying to extract that out just to figure out, okay, what does this business actually look like, you know, in the years moving forward without without COVID? Um, but maybe it's an example of COVID has just brought forward the adoption of the technology and that, that would be very mm. interesting. Um, and the second one was last year, their first half was really strong, but a weak second half. And then this year, that first half again was really strong. And I'm just not sure is there seasonality in that business? Do we expect a weaker second half or are there some mitigating factors? But you know, again, if there's if there's answers to those questions, this looks really interesting on, on call it 185 mil market cap, um, very capital light, profitable, um, and, and, and the potential to grow very strongly, particularly overseas in the next few years. So I'll, I'll probably throw it to Claude. For me, for, yeah. for the purpose of the show, I don't know enough to say buy, but it's, it's certainly a hold. Yeah, Claude? Yeah, so good questions, Luke. So first of all, there's nothing inherently cyclical about um, this. However, it just so happens with those halves, um, these guys have made extraordinary profits uh, by selling COVID PCR test kits. And for a while there, they were even selling COVID PCR test kits to uh, the USA under sort of emergency authorization because the USA was short on that. However, what we've seen since then is there's been the predictable supply response in terms of COVID test kits. So USA doesn't need to import them anymore. So their biggest boost, um, including in the half that ended December, as you can imagine, was selling COVID PCR tests and in Australia, indeed. Because you remember over Christmas, we had that massive period of huge amount of testing plus, um, you know, a high amount of COVID. Now, you could say, and I think what the market is assuming and suggesting is that now that the COVID boom of December last year is over, these guys are no longer going to be um, selling as many test kits because all you need to do is look at the number of tests we're doing, PCR tests, I mean, and it's gone right down. You know, it's probably 25% of what it was in, in the high times. However, there's another twist and turn in the story, which is why I actually hold the stock, right? So I've held, I've held throughout this um, up and down. And there are two reasons why I hold it. The short-term reason is that the way the COVID testing, I've like confirmed with you know the CEO, basically the way COVID testing works is when you have low um, prevalence of COVID, uh, you, you can batch them massively, right? So you need fewer actual testing kits to identify the case. But when you have higher prevalence of COVID, as we do now, you need more testing kits because every sample has to be tested, basically, or many more samples. So that's where we are right now. So even though um, actual testing rates, PCR testing rates is, are much lower than they were previously, um, the actual number of PCR testing kits required are higher because... A couple, like a year ago, when we had um, 
a fair bit of testing, but not so much actual COVID, they could do batches. Now, not so much. So my theory is that even though the actual number of COVID PCR tests has gone down, the actual requirement for test kits has probably stayed strong, which means that these guys' results will be reasonable. That's the short-term reason why I think it's probably not going to be as bad as what the market thinks. However, I could well be wrong. The volume could be going elsewhere. I may have you know, underestimated just how big the peak was and then that's going to come right. out and be painful on the other side. So that could be wrong. That's a highly speculative short-term thing. The longer-term thing that is why I'm interested in this company is because they have like genuine IP technology that they're very proud mm. of that allows certain kind of batch testing. So you can do their real um, thing that they want to get going is um, their three-base EasyScreen enteric protozoan product, which they're trying to get past the FDA. And that allows people to test for like, you know, gut problems. And rather than have to test for the specific pathogen, they can do a whole bunch at once, right? So you can see where the savings are then. Now, the fact that they've gotten their tests in America and Europe and Australia through this COVID boom, I think has been a, a serious advantage because it means that those pathology companies now trust these guys and i think that's really important and in medicine and science it usually is really important however they still have this delay in getting their enteric test through the fda which they have previously sort of blamed on covid which i just said before i don't accept anymore <laughs> however the fda has like openly said yeah with covid we had a massive backlog of stuff so wow. i really want to see that get through soon and that's what we're waiting for long term without that long term i think the thesis is bust but Overall, I still think this is a cool little Australian innovation mm. company that could end up surprising people. I think the risk reward is there, but that doesn't mean it's not risky. It's still a okay. more risky growth stock. So what do you do? But I You're... like it. I would buy it. Uh, I would buy it, it but you know, you just got to have... Uh, you, you wouldn't make it too big a part of your portfolio because right. it's going to have volatile times with all of this testing going up okay. and down. I'll Excellent. tell you that much. All right. Okay, let's recap the first five stocks plus a stock of the day. EML, a no from Luke. Uh, from Claude, um, too high a price at the moment, but is on his watch list. Uh, Carbon Revolution, a sell from both Claude and Luke. Uh, at a sell, a trading buy, uh, if, you're, if you're that sort of investor, uh, from Claude. If not, it's a hold from both uh, Claude and Luke. Best and less, a no from Claude, a hold from Luke. Uh, Cardno, a no from both, and Genetic Signature a yes from Claude and a hold from Luke. Um, here on the call, we've uh, uh, been following our own fantasy high conviction portfolio, uh, which is uh, put together by the investment committee, taking the recommendations here from, uh, uh, from uh, the call. If you want to um, uh, go to and see that, uh, go to the Ausbiz platform um, and ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. You can see all the stocks and also catch up with the investment committee. Um, the latest uh, meeting is on the website now and that is the portfolio as it stands. And uh, uh, JB Hi-Fi, Prometicus, Linus, Intertech Pivot recently added. 
Uh, it's about line ball since the 1st of March uh, when it started trading. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, uh, let's see what's ahead of us in the next half hour. We've got uh, Viva Leisure coming up, EBOS, uh, Develop Global, Space Talk and FOS Capital. Luke, let's get into uh, Viva Leisure. Uh, first up, this one from, um, uh, from AJ, who is, let me just bring it up, saying share price has been in a downward trend despite the reopening. Wondering if it's good medium-term buy. Of course, it operates health clubs in the health and leisure industry, club line, ladies only, uh, physical life, Hit Republic Swim School, a whole bunch of different brands in that area. Yeah, look, I don't mind these guys. And AJ's right. They had a, they had a pop back in November when the you know um, restrictions were eased primarily in, in New South Wales. Um, and the, the price has pretty much drifted, drifted down from there despite... You know, now being open, they're actually reporting some some decent operating results. Look, I'm generally not a fan of these roll-ups. Um, you know, you rely on a, on a very basic arbitrage between the, the valuations in, in private and public markets. Where I will give those, these guys a little bit of credit is that there appears to be a, a coherent strategy around the types of, of health centres and gyms they're acquiring. So, you know, they've got obviously a traditional gym, but they've got the, the high-intensity stuff, a cycling brand, a Pilates yoga brand, um, an aquatics brand. And so you can sort of see, you know, the, the rationale behind upselling different types of memberships and getting people across clubs and trying to bring them all onto a shared IT system and things like that. So I actually, you know, I, I can sort of see the the strategic appeal of not just, okay, we're, we're rolling up gyms for the sake of it to plug them into a, to a corporate strategy. Um, if you look at their last result, you would argue it's not excessively cheap. But they've got some ambitious targets for, for what they expect to, to, to exit FY22 at a run rate. So what they mean by that is when they hit June this year, um, they, they want to be doing $10 million uh, revenue in the June month. And of course, extrapolate that out across the 12 months of FY23 and you get to 120 million revenue um, at a 20% at uh, profit margin being $24 million. At that sort of level, the business starts to look really interesting on about six times EBITDA and cash flow is not too bad for this business. Um, so I think it's it's one where AJ's question was around a medium long term. I, I actually think with that strategy, I, I don't mind it. In the shorter term, there may still be a little bit of noise um, with, with reopenings and integrating acquisitions and things like that. Um, but if they get close to those targets, which again, their, their run rates based on effectively ramping back up to pre-COVID levels, um, it starts to look really cheap. Um, so I would, I would give it a buy. It's, it's a high risk buy, a bit like Claude mm. said with genetic signatures. It's not one I think you have a large portion of your portfolio. Um, but, but at these levels, trading about six times that, that run rate, I, I, think it looks, I think it looks pretty interesting. Okay, Claude? Well, I'm, I'm delighted that Luke and I have found an area of fairly strong disagreement in, in, on, on this particular <laughs> stock. Uh, I look. I don't. 
I think that the, the easiest way for me to explain why I don't like it is if we just zoom out the first principles and look at what we're trying to do as investors. As long-term investors, what we're trying to do is find, you know, the compounding company that can continue to put profits on profits and grow them every year. And the ability to do that derives usually from some kind of pricing power, some kind of um, competitive advantage, right? And if we go all the way back to Warren Buffett's 1981 letter to shareholders, he says quite clearly that the kind of business that does well in an inflationary environment is one with pricing power um, that it can put up the price of, of its customers, basically, and also one that does not have high capex requirements. Because if you have high capex requirements in an inflationary environment, all the stuff you need to buy, like gym equipment and all of that kind of stuff, that's constantly going up in price. And meantime, uh, you know, you need to put up your price to customers. Now, I don't think these gym setups have good competitive advantages at all. Like if you move house, you're going to, if you're like going to a gym and then you move house to an, and then there's a more convenient gym, you're going to change to that gym nine times out of 10 from people I've spoken to, you know, they like to go to a certain class or whatever. They, they're more like, they can just find a class elsewhere. There's no, doesn't take any real specialist know-how or IP to set up one of these gyms. And in fact, these gyms have as their competition um, outdoor exercise and that kind of stuff. Obviously, it doesn't work as well when it's raining. But if people are feeling the pinch, as we discussed when we were talking about best and less, that one of the, I would argue, one of the first things they can cut is going to uh, a gym and a gym membership. And they can just still do the exercise anyway if they want, you know, or they can basically pay once for a video of an instructor and, and that kind of thing. Now, yeah, if you're, if you're lifting weights and all of that kind of stuff, you need specialist equipment. But that's where you run into the problem with its high high capex for them. Now, of course, they can just leverage the equipment they already have, and that's what they should should do and will do. But if their growth strategy is to buy more and grow, then that's not going to work too well either. So I see these guys. Um, oh, and the final thing I say to that is, I don't think you're going to see a full bounce back to pre-COVID with just demand for gyms generally. Um, Health-conscious people. Um, might prefer to exercise somewhere where there's less chance of them getting COVID, even though that they're right. um, vaccinated. Yep. So overall, I would say there's a whole pile of negatives on this one, which mean that the ifs required to get you to that buy, it, it's too difficult for me. And I, so I would yeah. actually take the opposite point of view and say, look, I don't think, I think it is priced probably like it is in a bit of trouble and it's not a best business. So let me call it a hold in that regard. Um, it's not like massively overpriced and priced for perfection necessarily, but I just don't, I don't think it's going sure. to have a good run at all. Okay. All right. That's what we love here on the call. Uh, discussion, disagreement. That's what it's all about. Um, next stock, um, Claude Remy wants a view on EBOS. It's a marketer, wholesale distributor of healthcare, medical and pharmaceutical products, which is a flash way of saying that it owns chemist shops, uh, owns the Terry White, Chemmart stores and Symbian, among other healthcare services. Um, what do you think of EBOS? Well, I, if we if you search the Ausbiz archives, you'll find me talking to you about EBOS way back in the day uh, when the channel was started, when it was about a $20 stock, more or less $21 then. And the, and the reason I loved it then is the same reason I love it now. Hands up, I own this one long-term long holding, ballast of my portfolio. Uh, what it is, is it's, a, it's in healthcare. So it does pharmacy distribution. It does distribution to chemists, as you've said, it also does distribution to um, 
other chemists like Chemist Warehouse and hospital groups and stuff like that. It also has just done a big acquisition, which uh, I've discussed on my website in depth. Uh, that acquisition of Life Healthcare, that does bring additional risk. But in the short term, it has also excited the market because it brings additional earnings. And that's yeah. why you've seen the share price go up recently. And essentially what's happened now, in my view, is an excellent company, a great long-term hold. That's just gotten a bit too expensive for my taste. Um, so I can't give it a buy, even though I hold shares in this company and I really like it. I just think it's too expensive when you consider the fact that um, also, I believe that the business that they're acquiring, Life Healthcare, that has more lumpy, um, say, you know, prosthetics like your knee implant or your hip right. implant. That has higher margin, but sort of more lumpy businesses, uh, lumpy sort of type of business. And that is way more affected by how hospitals are going as well. So if you have long waiting, this is we do at the moment, that's bad for Life Healthcare Group. And, you know, we've been hearing reports that hospitals are still having a little bit of a hard time. So I don't see it as being a particularly great acquisition right. necessarily. Offsetting that is these guys have a great track record doing really good and careful acquisitions. And because they are a distribution network, distribution networks gain scale. That means they usually gain margin. Mm. And also as they gain scale, if they don't get, gain profit margin, then what they do do is they gain the ability to price lower than their would-be competitors, thus creating somewhat of a of a moat. So that's why this is a high-quality yeah. business. You could not you could not easily recreate this business in a short amount of time at all. It's it, at, in any way. So yeah, love it, hold it. But right now, just finding it a bit, a bit too, too expensive. expensive. Okay, uh, Lou. Yeah, I share those sentiments. I, I, I knew Claude knows this one well, so I was happy you went to him first. Um, it is a really high-quality business, and you see that just in their reports when they you know, had the historical graphs, and it's just been a, a steady you know, bottom left to top right of almost all their metrics. Um, it, it, it's a touch expensive, about 30 times earnings. You know, There are some stocks where that can be a reasonable multiple, but I, I don't think these guys give you the sort of growth to justify that. Um, unless there's acquisitions, which as Claude alluded to, they have made one. I think that might be it now for a little bit, um, given that that acquisition will take them about two times debt to EBITDA, which I think is probably at the top range of where management want to be. It wouldn't surprise me if they sort of consolidate now for maybe 12, 18 months, pay that debt down a bit, and then right. maybe look to make an acquisition in a couple of years' time. So the alternative is obviously raise equity, and, and you're at a valuation where that's that's you know a, a real option. But... Um, you know, again, these compounders, you sort of you want to leverage debt more than equity to really maximise the returns for shareholders. So I would say hold as well. Definitely watch list it. And it's in this sort yeah. of environment. Like, again, we've talked about interest rates and inflation for a few stocks. Again, as, as, a, as a distributor, you're just passing through these, these products. Um, you sort of clip the ticket in, in a way. So it's a very defensive stock from that point of view. And, and for one, for someone who is a little bit wary of the uncertainty, it's, it's one you could definitely look at, but maybe not the, at today's price. Okay. Uh, Luke, Doug has a really interesting question on Develop Global. This is a, um, a mining explorer, two copper zinc projects near Port Hedland in the Pilbara of Western Australia. But importantly, Doug says, I've got a small speculative holding in Develop. I've noticed they've got about 150 million shares on issue, but directors had 200 million in options. If the company does perform well, the management decide to exercise their options. I'm thinking this will dilute the performance of the limited number of shares I own. I'm thinking this will, uh, that management are using my capital to put at risk 
but will take a greater slice of the pie if the company performs well and leave me with only the crumbs. Am I right here concluding that management are a bit too greedy in this arrangement? Interesting point from Doug. I love the question. It's it's brilliant and it's good to see Doug, he's, he's drilling into the issues you can definitely see. And again, it comes back to a couple of those stocks we had before where if you're relying just on the numbers that get spit out in your broking account or whatever um, you know software you want to use, a lot of the times um, they won't account for, for options or escrowed shares or things like that. Yeah. So you could be looking at, at, at an incorrect number while trying to do your analysis. So um, I think Doug's completely on the right track. Always look at the options on issue. Um, in particular, look at the exercise prices because you have some options, but they're well out of the money and, and you know you, they, they won't ever be exercised and become ordinary shares. Um, but when I have a look, Doug, I think he's on the right track. I didn't see the options as bad as what he did. I saw about 60 million options. Right. I, I think he actually didn't adjust for a share consolidation they had. So they would have had a couple of hundred million, but they did a right. share consolidation. So the options gets consolidated as well. Um, but again, all those options are 67 or 75 cents. So they will get exercised and you'll have about 40% dilution over the next couple of years. So always keep that in mind. And... Uh, Look, does that make management greedy? It, it, it's a case-by-case case thing, Koshi. It's hard to say definitively. Um, now, turning to develop, I thought to myself I hadn't heard of this business before, but it's actually the old Venturex, which oh. is a name people might recognise because Bill Beemont, who was the chairman of Northern Star and took that from a absolute minnow to you know the second largest gold producer on the ASX, um, he left Northern Star to, to become chairman of this business. And of course, a move like that raises a lot of eyebrows. He's put yeah. a very impressive team around him and mineral, mineral resources with Chris Ellison is also a substantial holder. So you look yeah. at develop and, and on a traditional valuation, it looks ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it's trading on a higher level than the, the NPV of their, their largest mine. But of course, the market, the excitement is around the people they've got involved and the ability they've demonstrated to allocate capital, make acquisitions, and just in general yep. grow these mining projects over time. So I can't say a buy because it's not, you know, the way I look at stocks like this, it doesn't tick those boxes. If you're there, you're there for that reason though. And I appreciate that reason. So I'll definitely say hold if, okay. if you're there. But, but fair play to Doug outlining that issue around yeah, the options. I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, Claude will need to uh, pick up the pace a bit to get through the final two stocks. What do you think of develop? Well, not a worry then, because Luke absolutely nailed that. The only thing I'll add or emphasize is that if you are doing a speculation, and I've been known to do one myself, make sure you have in your head beforehand, uh, what is it you're looking for to exit? Now, that shouldn't be the share price, right? It, it needs to be at what stage of the, the company do you think that the share price will be higher, and that's when you'll exit. Or if you are just a chart trader, then make sure you follow to your momentum or whatever your rules are there, because... You don't, you don't want to start as a speculation and become a long-term holder because you're, you're okay. holding on for a profit or whatever. All right. Uh, as I say, we'll have to whip through these last two. Caitlin uh, called once a view on Space Talk. Caitlin says, bought at 22 cents, still holding. Don't mind keeping it for a few years if it eventually goes back. But I'm, I'm thinking I should cut my losses. What are your thoughts, gents? It's a technology company on wearable watches uh, for children, children's devices and software for school communication. Claude? I'll, I'll, ju I'll jump in. I'm sure Luke will have something valuable to say here. Look, I think that this one, it is a very high risk company um, because basically 
it keeps on needing capital to fund its inventory so that it can grow its sales of these space talk watches. And that means you can have dilution at quite low levels, which is absolutely something we have seen before from the company. Having said that, on the plus side, I suspect it's undervalued right now because these little space talk watches, um, they have associated with them a subscription that the parents pay so that the kids can you know, essentially call up the parents and, and, the, and yeah. the parents can know where the kids are. Now, look, this is not high-quality software as a service revenue because it's not going to go on forever in a day. It's going to go on for a couple of years whilst they have this watch. Um, having said that, I still think that, that that revenue is quite high margin, and that was $3.2 annualized at the last measure. Um, and this market cap of this company is like 20-something million, so right. $24 million or something. So I can definitely see... And they are continuing to grow that. And at some point, I think that that revenue, which is going to be high margin, will be enough to, to kick this company okay. back into profitability. On top of that, even though I think the management have made some mistakes, I do think that they're trustworthy. So overall, I think it's investable. I think it will be a painful hold. But I actually think if you are willing to hold <laughs> it long term from here, you'll right. pro you may good, get a good result. Uh, Luke, agree with a painful hold? I do, Koshi, because I hold it in Meriwether Capital. Oh. Um, so I can, I can attest to the, you know, how painful the hold has been. Um, this is one, I'll be, I'll be quick. Um, I think it's one where if you separate the performance of the business from the share price, it's two very different trajectories. Um, but I, I appreciate the reasons for why the share price is what it is. And Claude effectively alluded to it. It's a business that um, likely requires capital to grow. Um, and, and that primarily means equity. They've tried funding with debt in the past, but I think that's difficult to do. Um, and the market is looking ahead and saying, this is not an environment now where we want to own businesses that we know will have to come back and raise capital in the future. Um, I think fundamentally the business has done really well, growing about 50% year on year. Um, that's primarily from, from Australia as a core market, but now getting some good traction in Europe. And they're only just beginning to, to expand into the US. Um, for Caitlin, I'll just say, um, quick plug, I actually wrote this up in my Meriwether Capital um, February note. So if you want to jump on the website and have a look, there's a, a bit more there where I sort of talk about, um, you know, okay. the share price and, and what I think management need to do moving forward. So just for the interest of time, maybe director to, to have a look okay. at that. So a painful hold as well. Uh, final stop, just quickly, Luke, Caitlin wants to view on FOS Capital, the, uh, the big lighting uh, designer manufacturer. Yeah, look, I think I would have liked to have seen more um, profit leverage in their last result. We saw a really strong revenue growth, but profits effectively flat. Um, now, management have got some pretty ambitious forecasts and, and require a very strong fourth quarter. Um, the commentary was that they expect their cost base to remain relatively flat. If you run those numbers between what they you know guide to do in the fourth quarter and keep that cost base flat, I'm sort of getting somewhere between three to $4 million um, profit. I think that's at the before right. tax level um, yep. for a business that's on 12 million. Now, for me, that sounds very, very interesting. And so it's certainly on my watch list. I would just need to see them do it first, to be honest. Okay. Um, maybe you could justify having a, a little nibble. I know we've got the nibble in the vernacular yep. now. So, yeah, yeah. you know, a, a small little speculation just to, if they do hit it, it'll do really well. But it, it hasn't been listed long enough for me to have full confidence okay. in the management team to, to really hit their numbers. So it's a hold for, for me. Uh, Claude, anything to add? Ah, yes. So I own a small amount of shares in this. However, I think they're going to miss their guidance for this year. And on top of it, they've had a pretty rough run in terms of like freight costs go up and 
look, there's not too much risk in it. And I've spoken to the CEO about this in the sense that when they do and when they do a quote for an order, um, they can usually um, already know exactly what their input costs are. So they yeah. know they're going to make a margin. They're not going to lose money on it. But what it means is if their transport goes up a little bit or if there's like a, some kind of little increase in inflation in the costs, um, they're not going to try and pass that on to their clients just because it's not worth it for one, two percent to just to try and, um, you yeah. know, make sure their margin's good. They want to have a good relationship with the client. That means growth is going to be a real pain. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to blow up. I actually think that they're a well-run little company. I like their long-term thesis. This is a distribution-style business, yeah. so a roll-up does make a bit of sense here. However, I am probably saying like I'm going to hold, hold. Um, but I think it, it, you wouldn't be buying it here because I reckon after the next results, this thing goes down to at least twenty-two cents or around there, okay. um, where it's traditionally had support. Um, and right. long-term, I still like the thesis, but not not short-term. Jen's got to run. Time is BDS Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Great to have you aboard as usual. Luke Winchester from uh, Merriweather Capital, likewise. Thank you, guys. Good to see you. Let's uh, recap the final five stocks. Viva Leisure, uh, a no from uh, Claude, a yes from uh, from Luke. Ebos, a hold from both. Develop Global, a hold from both. Uh, Space Talk, a painful hold uh, from both of them. Uh, FOS Capital, if you're in it, uh, uh, hold it. But... Um, uh, Claude thinks they'll disappoint in the next earnings and the price will come down. Um, uh, uh, Luke has it on his watch list and it's saying uh, looking attractive uh, would have a nibble but wait for that earnings report. Um, if you'd like any stocks for us to cover here on the call, uh, flick us an email to call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.